There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL draft this year. My name is Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Greg Horbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, which is, yeah, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, which includes which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are bad, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. That is the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hungry dogs run fast. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. It feels like it's been three months. It's only been like a week, but we took a little break uh, last week. We're back. I'm Shiel Kapati with ace producer Cliff Augustine, and we've got one of our favorite guests, one of our most frequent guests. He's got boots on the ground in Indianapolis at the Combine. His name is EJ Smith of the Inquirer. EJ, how is Indianapolis treating you? Um, it's too, it's treat me pretty well. You know, I, I am like the trope that you have mentioned before of this like sports reporter who is like, uh, will fight for the death for Indianapolis. Like, I like it here. I think it's a good city. There's good food. You don't have to go outside. Like, I don't think they should move the combine. So yeah, I, uh, I'm enjoying my time in Indianapolis. It's warmer here than usual. You know, it's like 65 degrees. I'm walking outside. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying my time so far. Uh, you've been spending too much time with Zach Berman. That's my conclusion. Uh, it was nice in Philadelphia, too. Very nice day uh, in Philadelphia. Got a nice long walk in here today. All right, here's what we're doing. EJ uh, was there for Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni, their press conferences. But as a former beat writer, I know it's not all about that. You're going around town. You're talking to people. You're doing some beat writer stuff on the side. So EJ's going to have good insight about what is going on with the Philadelphia Eagles and then, as I told EJ before we came on, when we have EJ on, you know, we like to bring up some life questions, the Indian Larry David type stuff pops up. Uh, and so I've got one from my week off from travel. So let's do this simple, EJ. We'll just go back and forth because I watched the press conferences. 
You obviously were there for them. You were doing additional reporting here the last couple of days. So I just want to go topic by topic, something that interests you. It could be something you think, all right, they totally lied about this or, ooh, I actually think this is something to read into because it's hard. I mean, these combine press conferences, it's at such a weird time. You haven't signed anybody yet. You haven't traded anybody yet. You haven't drafted anybody yet. And GMs and coaches are not in the business of, hey, yeah, here's exactly what we're going to do. So you kind of have to um, try to figure out for yourself. So you started off, you're the guest. What was one thing that caught your attention or one topic? Yeah, you're right. I mean, these press conferences can be a lot of smoke and mirrors and reading between the lines. Um, one of the biggest takeaways I had from this press conference is maybe a little bit of me, like, you know, taking a whiff a little bit because after the year end press conference, you know, I think the headline coming out of it was that Nick Sirianni for the first time said, the, the, new, the next offensive coordinator is going to be running the offense. And I think we all took that to mean, like, this is the head coach of the offense. You know, the, the next OC is going to have more, you know, agency to run things the way that they see fit. And I was a little skeptical even then, you know, because I'd listened for months. I'd listened to Nick talk almost like in defiance of the criticism about the fact that the Eagles offense the year before was so successful and so dominant and the staff was mostly in place and, you know, it's Nick Sirianni's offense. And I just, you know, I needed to see it to believe it. And I, you know, to believe that he was really going to hand over the reins to a new offensive coordinator. And I think that we saw a more subdued Nick Sirianni at the year end press conference. I think we saw, you know, a man who had just fought for his job. And I think today he re returned back to the Nick Sirianni that we're used to seeing. I think that that little subtle defiance about, listen, like this offense has been big time before, you know, we're not far removed from that, that time where the Eagles offense was dominant. I think that he's starting to kind of reassert his, you know, his authority over the offense, I would say. And, you know, I think not only were his comments today indicative of that, I think that actions speak louder than words. You look at the coaching staff um, and the first thing that stands out to you is, man, a lot of these changes were on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. You know, a lot of the position coaches, uh, on the offensive side stayed in place. And I think it's because I think that's emblematic of Nick's feelings about the offense. You know, I think that when he looks at the issues that the offense faced in last season, I don't, I think that he views them as fixable. I'm not sitting here saying that Kellen Moore is going to be like the Rick Scangarello of Nick Sirianni's <laughs> tenure where he comes in and is just like, you know, an irrelevant figure. I think Kellen Moore is going to have an imprint on the offense, but I do think we need to pump the brakes, especially after today, on the idea that Nick Sirianni is going to be the true CEO head coach that is, you know, not going to be meddling in the offense or the defensive meetings. I think, I think that the new arrangement will look a little different. I think that he, you know, I, I take him at his word that he might be in more of these defensive meetings, which I find interesting because I don't think he's going to lock that door. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I think he's going to have know access Fang, to Nick those. Fangio was going to be a big fan of that yeah. idea, but I think Nick views himself. I think he's viewing himself as more of a CEO type, but I do think he's still going to have his imprint on the offense. And I think, again, if you look at the staff, it makes sense that they're not going to be, it's not going to be the sea change on offense. I think you are going to see a lot of the things you saw last year. That's interesting. I, like watching it that I, I, I did not feel that that way, but I wasn't like specifically looking for that. And like I said, you're doing more reporting than I am just sitting here watching that. But your point is basically 
what the 2024 season is going to come down to. Is this meshing going to work or is it not going to work? If it doesn't work, see you, Nick Sirianni. If it does work, you might have a Super Bowl contender in Philadelphia for the second time uh, in three seasons. I really think that's what this season is all about. Now, I, I will agree, you know, as you were speaking, I'm like, that's what the tone definitely was different. You know, after the yeah. season, it was almost like Jeffrey Lurie was sitting under the desk being like, <laughs> remember those things I told you in the meeting? You yeah, better repeat fresh those. Ideas. Yeah, fresh, fresh ideas. ideas. Stale. stale. Yeah. You better admit that that was really stale and terrible when yeah. I watched it at the end of the season. I mean, you're right. Cause I remember watching that going, I haven't heard Sirianni talk like this at all. I mean, fresh ideas, stale. I mean, no head. Like, and it's not just Sirianni. I mean, most head coaches, they would never really admit something like that. And so that was so clearly to me, the talking points that Jeffrey Lurie had been like, this is what I think. This is yep. what you need to do to keep your job. Uh, do you agree or disagree? And then he was kind of echoing some of those things when he spoke to the media. So you're right. It didn't come across that way in today's press conference. Now, in terms of the measure, it's, I, I think you're going to hear a lot of different theories in the months ahead about like how this is going to work. I personally think that it's okay if he thinks that, hey, we have a lot of good stuff on our offense and we need Kellen Moore to add a bunch of layers to it. And that's what the offense is going to look like. Like, I don't think you need to just, you know, break it all down and build from the ground up. First of all, that's hard to do. But second of all, it's like they were really good. That's fair to say in 2022. And even last year, like they were 10th in DVOA. That is underachieving. That's not good enough. We all watched it with our own eyes. It was worse than that as they fell apart, but it was 10th. It wasn't 27th, you know, like they had stuff that way. They had some very good offensive games, even uh, as they were falling apart there. So um, in my opinion, the way it works the best is if you take some of the foundational stuff and then Kellen Moore is layering in the motion, the moving the pocket, the under center, all the, this is a different route concepts to get guys open where it's not isolation routes. And then you have Jeff, maybe they're studying RPOs. The RPO game was stale. Absolutely. Last year, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can add to this offense. It's a you add that all together. And so again, if it works, it's going to look great, but it is a big question. It's not easy. I mean, Sirianni is an offensive head coach, so I'm not positive that it's going to work, but I think it has the potential to work in that specific manner. Yeah. So I pulled the quotes up here. Um, so on January 24th, uh, during the post game or the, the year end press conference, Nick ended a, a long winded sentiment about how the offensive coordinator was going to be brought in to coach the quarterback and run the offense. And he ended up by saying, it's just about getting the right guy and then we'll decide where that goes. But I'm hiring him to do a job and be in charge of the offense. That's mm. not really the sentiment we heard today. Yeah, um, that's I, true. I think that Nick, in the year-end press conference, he did mention like a meshing of ideas. And he mentioned the, the Matt Patricia coined, it's our scheme. It's not <laughs> my scheme. It's our, it's the Eagles scheme. So he's going with that. But like, there was definitely more of an emphasis today on the, you know, the notion, well, why would we throw everything away? We were really successful in 2022. And I do think like that resting on your laurels is like maybe the concern. Now, again, I agree with you. Like he's not wrong when he says that, like this offense has been dominant with this infrastructure in place. And I think if I'm, this is really me, like this is my speculation at this point, like reading between the lines. Like I think the way that they view it is probably more like when they had Shane Steichen calling plays, when they had like you know, a, you know, a hot play caller, they were able to really make it work. And I think that based off of, again, reading between the lines and reading into like what the staff changes were, I think they view Kellen Moore as like an advanced play caller who can add a couple wrinkles and help them out in the areas they need help with. 
and be the in-game feel person that Shane was for them in this offensive scheme. So I, I do think it's a little bit of a departure. And again, it's a little bit me taking a whiff. I should have put it on record somewhere, Shield. You know, this is, you know, I'm a, as a young budding person, take take person, I need to learn. Like, you know, because I, I remember I've, I mentioned this before, like when right after the press conference said, I'm not really buying this. I should have just tweeted it. I should have put it out on Twitter because, you know, then I could then I could really take credit for this. Listen, so. we got free agency season coming up. We got trade yeah. season. We got you. Have, my only <laughs> advice as a, you know, I don't know if I would call myself a takesman, but, you know, a little prediction <laughs> success. Just just be specific. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be like a 10 on a one to 10 boldness. I mean, it can be. But if you're yeah. very specific and then it hits you, no, one, listen, no one's going to forget all that stuff. I got a million stuff, things wrong, sure. but you just need that one big one uh, yeah. to hit. You know, what was the one quote that I thought was interesting um, was when uh, I think it was a Colts reporter was asking about Shane Steichen. And he asked, I got a funny story about that after this. Okay. And he asked like Howie Roseman about it. And did you, Howie said Shane has this savant like approach to football. I'm like savant like I don't know. Yeah. I mean, wow. That, that, yeah. And Nick Sirianni standing. So that's the other thing. When you were describing that, I'm like Nick Sirianni probably left that season-ending press conference after he got a question about what exactly are you going to do here? A valid question uh, yeah. from Tim McManus. Um, and he and he's probably like been hearing that for weeks. Is he's probably like wow they. It, it, this wasn't like an under the radar move. This is like, everyone's looking at this as they stripped me of my power and I got nothing to do here. And I'm just some doofus. Meanwhile, I've gotten this team to the playoffs three years in a row. Like I'm not going up there being like, I'm not doing anything, you know? I didn't, yeah. So maybe that won't be his messaging going forward. And then the how, I mean, I was like savant, like approach to football, um, which I listen, I'll just go, uh, this, uh, this should probably be safe for August, but I would say pump the brakes a little bit on like, Shane Steichen and the Colts. Nice job last year. Uh, did more with less. Quarterback got injured. It was a low bar. And sometimes you see those first-year coaches when you come into a train wreck situation and you have success right away. And then everyone thinks the guy's amazing. And then year two, it's like Brian Dayball. It's, look at Brian yeah. Dayball, how we viewed him year one to year two. So I'm not saying Shane Steichen's going to stink. I would just say, like, I, me personally, as someone who has to co who comments on all the teams, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on uh, Steichen and the Colts. Okay, so there you go. I love that you dropped, like, a me personally there. <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> me and you. Like, we trade We we yeah. trade Stephen A. We trade our favorite Stephen A. clip. So maybe that's why having you on, you know, I might I might that's be awesome. able to take it to another level. Yeah. Yes. So I have a good Colts. I have a, story, a good story about that Colts reporter. Um, so like that poor Colts reporter is like in the middle of the Philadelphia <laughs> media, like, easy. you know, yeah. like we all were kind of moving around and like, you know, we were at different podiums. And then when Nick and Howie went like, you know, they, they go up and there's people who are like boxing us out. And the Colts reporter, again, no criticism to him at all. Like he was hustling and he was in front. He was yeah, front and center. His job. Yeah, exactly. So like, a like, the first thing, my favorite thing is like, I think it was during Nick, he was there and it's getting toward the end. You know, we were, we're sensing that two more questions coming from PR soon. And there were four or five reporters who all shout at the top of their lungs the second that Nick is done talking. And the Colts reporter jumps like, like, you know, a bomb went off by and, like, and it's like, it's just my favorite thing seeing like the Philadelphia beat reporters in like a national event like that, because like it makes us all remember, like it's not like this most places, but it's like, not. listen, 
listen, I can speak it's a to that personally. Yeah, Pete I love Carroll, it though. Yeah. I love the competition. Yeah, it made me think of your story about Pete Carroll yeah. being like, "Shield, you don't have to scream at me. We don't yeah. do that here." Yeah. Um, and then the other part is like, again, the culture reporter is just doing his job. But like, I I will like always think of Les Bowen. Like the reaction he'd have to like a question that didn't help him, like, you know, you see that throughout the like the group of Philly reporters, like, oh man, like this guy. Yeah. So again, no shade to that guy whatsoever, but it was just like again a fun moment to like remember that like the Philly media is really just built different when it comes to question faceoffs. Yeah, that, that I mean that's how the combine is. All everyone's on these different risers, and then anyone can go to, and they're all in the same room. So if you want to just jump from one yeah. GM to the next coach and uh, whatever, and that guy, yeah, he's working on a Shane Steichen story. Howie Roseman and you know uh, Nick Sirianni obviously yeah. worked with Shane Steichen. He's trying to, and, and I'm sure if he went to other places, like I'm sure he talked to other coaches and GMs who worked with Shane Steichen. Like I'm sure he asked Jonathan Gannon. I'm sure you know he, he yeah. probably asked uh, other people, and I'm sure it was just like cool, like no big deal. But in this, I mean, I don't know, like how many Philadelphia, how many Eagles reporters are in Indianapolis at the combine? If you count Eagles employees, I think it's like 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. now you're in this group and it's a short amount of time and Nick Sirianni has yeah. long answers to questions. So like if, if from your guy's perspective, it's like you're being, your company is paying for you to go out to Indianapolis, uh, you know, hotel, airfare, all that stuff. And this is like the main event for the Eagles is that the yeah. coach and the GM are speaking now as you approach free agency. And it's like, you want to get your stuff in. So yeah, it can be, uh, I do miss that a little bit. I mean, there's a competitiveness inside of you that's like, I'm not going down like this. My, my, my question's getting yeah. answered. I will yell at the top of my lungs if I yeah. need to. So that's, uh, yeah, that was definitely evident there. All right. So you went with Nick Sirianni's role in the offense. Let, let, I'm going to get to just the, the, the news here, which, you know, this thing could break at any time. And that's Hassan Reddick. Um, yeah. Both Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni asked about Hassan Reddick. I thought Howie Roseman kept it very short. It wasn't a, if he wanted to leave the impression that Hassan Reddick's not going anywhere, he's a valuable part of the organization. That was not the impression I got watching it. I'm curious to hear um, what you think. And then Nick Sirianni, the coach is always going to say, we want the guy back. I mean, that's just yeah. pretty much, unless there's like some some big battle where they hate each other or whatever, <laughs> the coach is always going to be like, oh yeah, good player. I want that player uh, on my team. So what did you think, just the buzz around uh, Indy and also what we heard from Howie Roseman, kind of where we are with Hassan Reddick and how this thing might play out? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. You know, Dave Zangaro asked a really good follow-up to Howie, and he said, "What's the best case scenario?" That was uh, a with good Hassan. Question, yeah, and that's and almost Howie... always a good question. By the yeah. way, that yeah, is an absolutely. underrated question. I actually asked that. Uh, now I said, now I sound like a pompous, like, "Oh, that's a good question." No, I asked no. It once. Listen, that, we all we all uh, respect you, Sheila. We all know. I, you don't know what caliber reporter you are. <laughs> when, they, when they drafted Jalen Hurts. And yeah. my question was, well, what's the best case scenario here? Because like you had just signed Carson Wentz and how he kind of stumbled there. And I was like, all right, well, now years later, it looked like it, it's obviously uh, was a great pick. But yeah, that's kind of a very simple, the young journos out there. You know, it's a very yeah. simple question that can get to the heart of the matter. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, nice and direct. So Howie's answer was not direct. It was <laughs> honest communication is the best case scenario <laughs> with Hassan Reddick. Um, I, I really am intrigued by what's going to happen here. I think it is really going to come down to how the rest of the league views Hassan Reddick. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when he signed the three-year deal, you know, three-year deal with what, $15 million a year, I think it was not really indicative of the production that he had, you know, he had in the, the years prior. And I, I really, I have a hard time shaking that. 
when thinking about how the league views Hassan, I feel like yeah. he's a he's an unconventional edge rusher in his size and his rush style. Um, again, he's one of the most productive edge rushers in the NFL. You know, in terms of sack production, especially in like the other thing I think that doesn't always get appreciated about Hassan is like, the fact that he does it late in games and the fact that he has like like his like strip sack rate if that's actually a stat somewhere is higher than most guys. Like oh yeah. It's up there. Has, yep, yeah. Fumbles, he has made no an art of take like getting to the quarterback and getting to the ball. Um, but again, he has an unconventional path toward to being an edge rusher and he's an unconventional edge rusher. And I think the league is a little bit lukewarm on him because of that. So I'm curious, or at least they were in free agency a few years ago. If that's changed, then I think there's a price that a team would be willing to pay that could entice the Eagles here. But I also think that if if it hasn't, if the league is still a little wary of him, um, I could I really do. I think the Eagles won't just give him away. I mean, listen, he needs his cap hit is over twenty million dollars next year. They have to figure out something with him. But I feel like there's a chance that he's going to test the market, and we've seen them do this with Fletcher Cox in the past, Darius Slay, um, where they kind of give these guys these chances to explore the market, see if what they think they're worth is actually what a team is willing to pay. And if not, they come back. And I think that that could happen. I mean, it, again, I think it's really going to come down to how the league views him. Um, maybe the last two years being a, still one of the most productive pass rushers in the NFL has changed the way teams view him. Um, but if not, again, I think that there's a world where he comes back to the Eagles. I, the sense I get today is like that they are still waiting to hear kind of like what they're going to be able to get for him. Um, and if, if and I don't think I think again I think there's a price where it's, it would make sense, but I think that that market is still kind of is si- sort of still formulating. I think it's going to be a little bit of a longer thing. So I actually agree with you uh, quite a bit there. And you can and, and like if you're listening to this saying that's like part of it is stupid. Like I, I think it's the league, like GMs and coaches get impressions of players in their heads. Yeah, and then it's tough to move off of that. Like if it, you know, we we see it all the time with first round picks. It's like they'll always get. And I know Hassan Reddick was a first round pick, but sometimes you'll see a guy who hasn't done anything, and he'll get a big. Con- I mean, even like Andre Dillard last year got nine million dollars per year. Had, <laughs> right. He had not played any football. And the Titans paid him to be a starting left tackle site, you know, almost like sight unseen. Like it's great. And I'm sure that was part of that was, Hey, we had a great draft evaluation of him and we believe, and like we, you have those first impressions that are tough to shake. So I think your point about Reddick is a great one. I mean, Reddick was a free agent in, uh, 2021. He was coming off a 12 and a half sack season with the Arizona Cardinals. He was 26 years old. And he got a one-year, I think it was a $6 million deal with the Carolina Panthers. Okay. So he has yeah. that year. And then and then he so in that one year, it's like, all right, prove it deal. He has he has 11 sacks that year. Yeah, with the he proved Panthers. it. <laughs> he proved it. Yeah. And he got a three-year $45 million with the Eagles, which is good money. That's not like elite top of the line yeah. edge rush edge rusher money. So now you look at it and now he is uh he'll be 30 in September, which uh, that's not like that old for an edge rusher. He should still have a lot of good football left, but you just do wonder that if that's the best he could do in those two times when he hit free agency, how much had the last two years uh changed people's opinions? And maybe they have changed them, but I kind of agree with you. I mean, you look at it now Top of the edge rusher market, you've got four guys, Nick Bosa, TJ Watt, Joey Bosa, and Miles Garrett making $25 million or more per year. 
if I put together like a sacks quarterback hits thing, Reddick would probably be right in there with those guys. Yeah. Like his numbers are really impressive. I don't think that's how the league views him at all. Now you have another group of guys, Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary, uh, Khalil Mack, Max Crosby, Bradley Chubb, Trey Hendrickson, Von Miller. All those guys are making 20 million or more. Now Sweat's you- the interesting one there for me. Yeah. Because Sweat is two years younger than Hassan Reddick. And he his production is, I have it right here. His production is not nearly as good as Hassan Reddick's has been. He had yeah. eight sacks in 2022. He had 12 and a half in 2023. He had nine sacks in 2020, but again, he had double-digit sacks once in his career, and the Bears traded a second-round pick for him and then gave him a four-year deal worth, I have it right here, hold on, uh, $98 million. million per year. Yeah. yeah, like if you're Hassan Reddick, like you're like, what is, well, how, if he gets that, then I should be above that, but Montez Sweat is a prototypical edge rusher. Like he yeah. has the prototypical build and he just kind of, again, I'm not saying that this is like the right way to build a team. I totally like, agree with I'm you. I'm not saying yeah. I agree with this notion, but like Montez Sweat looks like what you want out of an edge rusher. And Hassan Reddick is like obviously unconventional. I do. I think it affects the way that teams view him. So it's honestly it 100% like- hundred percent does. There's no doubt like about credit. it. You're articulating. Yeah. I, I've actually been trying to articulate this uh, in every Reddick conversation and you're doing it much better than me. Because in my head, I'm like, wait, Shield, that sounds stupid. Like Montez Sweat has different <laughs> measurables and looks different, but who's hitting the quarterback more? And so in my head, if right. I'm a GM, I'm like, I'll take the guy who's hitting the quarterback more. I know it's not that simple, but like Reddick's doing it legit. It's not like he's always unblocked. It's not like he's always facing tight ends. But I think NFL people, uh, the guys making the decisions, I do think they look at it differently the way you're articulating it. Yeah. I'm just not afraid to sound stupid, Shiel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time, so, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So I don't know. I, in my head, had Hassan Reddick as like a guy like in the $18 million per year range. Now you got, the, that was before this cap spike, so maybe that gets up to twenty. I personally would be a little bit surprised if he got a deal over $20 million per year. That could be wrong. Maybe he will. He's as good of a player as a lot of those guys um, I just mentioned. But for the reasons we just discussed it, that's how I feel. So so you think that basically the Eagles are just saying, see what's out there. If you have a deal you like and a team is also willing to give up draft compensation, we will make you happy. If not, and to Howie Roseman's credit, like you said, he's done this before and it hasn't gotten contentious. And even last year with Darius Slay and the guy has just come back and you signed the guy. So I I think that's still probably possible. um, But that's kind of how you see this playing out, right? Yeah, I do. I mean, if I mean, you when you look at those deals that some of these edge rushers have signed, you see why it got to this point. You know, like if you're Hassan Reddick, you're looking at that Montez Sweat deal like I like, you know, add two and give it to me. And if right, you're the 100%. Eagles, you might be a little bit more re- reluctant to do something like that. So, yeah, and you're right. Like, the Eagles released Fletcher Cox. <laughs> like, they cut him, and a few days later signed That's him crazy. back. Took I the forgot dead about money. that. Yeah. It was bizarre. They took the dead money hit and, like, just brought him back. So we've seen them do this before. Uh, I think that, again, like, could this happen quickly? I, I think it could, obviously. You never can say never with Howie, I think. You know, the, the way that Howie approaches trades makes it volatile. Uh, you can never really – it's unpredictable. Um, but at the same time, I could see this dragging out as Hassan sort of sees if there is like a Montez Sweat, you know, plus type deal out there for him. 
And the other thing to keep um, keep in mind is the franchise tag stuff, which I think goes to March 5th, that deadline. I predicted on extra point taken this week that Brian Burns could be tagged and traded. I, I mean, yeah. the Panthers have had so long to sign him to an extension and haven't. And so now like he he's the guy who, like we were just discussing, I think the league will be above and beyond what his production. Like I, I think the yeah. trade terms will probably blow people away that, whoa, my God. And I love Brian. Like I love, I personally yeah. love Brian Burns, but if you just look at the production between him and Hassan Reddick, like the last three years, Reddick has by far been the more productive player, but I think the league, the trade value is absolutely higher for a guy like Brian Burns. So that's something to keep an eye on who gets tagged. Are they tagged and they're going to stay with their teams? Uh, even a guy like Josh Allen of the Jaguars, or are they tagged? And then they're going to be traded. Cause I think one thing we did learn from the Montez sweat deal is that Teams do look at this position. It's one where like the best guys don't often get to free agency. And so, yeah. you know, they will be Bradley Chubb, like got a first Bradley Chubb's resume was not as good as Hassan Reddick's uh, uh, is right now. So it, it's really a hard one to predict. I think we'll get some clarity after the franchise tags are handed out and teams say, okay, who's available? Cause if I have to trade for Burns, then, you know, maybe I can get Reddick for less than that and maybe pay him $10 million less than what Brian Burns might get. Maybe that makes more sense for our team. So that's something to keep an eye on. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get to more with what we heard from Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni today. College basketball season is heating up and FanDuel wants you to join in on the action. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 bet wins. That's $150 extra bucks to bet anything from point spreads to money lines to who's going to win it all. I love this time of year. March madness, those first two days. I mean, listen, you can bet on every game. If you want to, you don't have to, but you can do that. You can do whatever you want. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, 
one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, we are back on the ringers. Philly. I'm debating to, to do a little detour here. So, you know what? Let's do, <laughs> let, let's do a couple more topics. Then we're going to do the detour and then we'll come back and finish with some Eagles yeah, topics. We're, like we're going to get the nonsense in the middle. We're not going to save it uh, to the end because it's been weighing on my mind. All right. What's the next topic? What, what else stood out from you uh, to you from today? Yeah. So we got to get to Howie here. I know we've been talking a little bit about team building just because, you know, with the Hassan Reddick stuff, but I feel like in the year end press conference, Nick kind of overshadowed it because we were all so intrigued about the new dynamic, but you know, Howie kind of like got a little overshadowed in that. And I want to make sure we don't do that here because Howie did say a couple of things that are interesting. Obviously like Howie's scouting combine press conferences are like, I mean, they are just um, like, I don't want to call them a masterclass because that sounds like positive, but they're like yeah. textbook evasive answering uh, techniques. So you got, again, it's a lot of reading between the lines, but one thing that he said that really interested me is uh, I think it was Bo Wolf actually asked him about like playing young players and seeing what you have in young players. And he was pretty like, you know, definitive about like, that's something they're going to have to do more of moving forward. He said, it's something that him and Nick Sirianni have talked about. Um, You know, he said like, here, I've got it here. Um, He said, you have, you have that and there will be a depth chart where you may be uncomfortable about this guy hasn't necessarily shown it, but we believe in this player that that will be an area for us to grow on. So my read on that is like the Eagles are at a point right now where if you look at their offense, they have a good young nucleus. They've got a core of players that, you know, are, you can build around. And it's kind of really distinct that they don't have that on defense. Like how many players on the Eagles defense would you say are young players who are in or entering their prime? Like it's Reed Blankenship. Like maybe Jaylen you would say, but like, is Jalen Carter truly entering his prime yet? You know, like I think you might, you can make the argument that Jalen Carter and Reed Blankenship are like the building blocks of a defense. There's really nobody else. Like Jordan Davis hasn't really figured it out yet to the point where you'd say he's entering his prime. I think like you could say Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat are in their prime, but yeah. It Certainly really sweat. To, I mean, sweat's 27, I think, yeah. so, but I mean, you don't like how he ended last season, but I think you could make sure. the case that he still got, you know, three, four five years of good football in him. Right. But it, you really look at those linebacker spots and those cornerback spots. They don't have building blocks. Nothing. And I think that that's going to be a priority. Just again, reading between the lines of what, how he said that I think that building a new, a nucleus on defense that kind of matches what they have on offense in terms of age and being able to sort of, you know, like if you want to contend for the window that Jalen Hurts and the, some of these younger offensive guys have, I think that you do need to build out a defense and find players that align with that. So, you know, and it doesn't have to all be through the draft. There are young free agents that I think could be a priority for the team as well. But it was really interesting to me. You know, I think that like it, we don't often see the Eagles have young players, you know, draft picks that are like immediate starters. You know, like there is a lot of like, Tyler Steens and Andre Dillard's and, you know, I guess like Devontae Smith was an example. Like he was drafted and expected to play right away. Even like Jalen Carter last year got to be a little bit of an understudy with Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis at times. It's not, it's kind of rare. Nolan Smith is another example of a first round pick that didn't see the field because they had depth at the position. I think that you might see a departure. They kind of have to get away from that. They have too many needs on the defensive side of the ball to draft understudies. Like if they draft a first round pick or a first round uh, corner, 
they really don't have the luxury of saying, oh, you can just sit behind James Bradbury for the next season. So yeah. I think that that's, that was my big, that was a big takeaway I had. Uh, I think it's noteworthy that Nick Sirianni was not as um, forceful about his like, you know, endorsement of the young players. And I understand why if you're Nick Sirianni, you're looking at next season, like I need to coach for my job, you know? Um, I, I, it's like, that's always the priority of the head coach, uh, is to continue being the head coach. Right. Um, but I do think that that's going to be something that, again, I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the off season and really in training camp, you know, like last year they wanted to put, you know, they wanted to kind of turn things over to Nicobe Dean at linebacker. He twisted his ankle on the second day of training camp and they went out and signed two linebackers off of the street. So you know, I'm curious if they're going to be in the mode to do that again this year, or if they really will kind of do what Howie said, which is even if it looks uncomfortable on the depth chart, they need to see what they have in some young players and they need to add some young players to this defense to, again, have building blocks. You know, they just don't have so they they lack that on that side of the ball. Yeah. This is a common like tug of war in the NFL between front yeah. offices and coaching staffs where the front office, I mean, you talk to any, the, the time that front office people are willing to chat the most is right after their drafts when they feel <laughs> like they just got like six starters, three all, I mean, it, it's wild. Some of the things you hear, it's like, haven't you been doing this for a while? Like, you know, not all these right. guys, but it's okay. They put in a lot of work and they're excited about the people they got. And so, yes, they have high opinions of those players and they want them to play. And then sometimes those players get on the field just for like OTs and mini camps and coaches are like, this guy can't play for us this year, especially yeah. For the Eagles, when they've been trying, they're like a Super Bowl team. If if they're if you're a team on the rise and you're all right, we're we're young, we're trying to develop. Like that can be a priority for some teams. That can't be a priority for the Eagles. So I actually don't really like, uh, you know, buy criticism for Sirianni and the coaching staff for not playing young players. Sure. Like ideally, you know, what you want is that you set the floor with a veteran, and then you hope to draft over them. You hope you get a story in mid-August that, hey, this rookie is playing great. Coach is loving. He's beating out this low-priced veteran, and that's who we're going with. But if that doesn't happen, like, what's the coach supposed to do? Like, I, like, I thought Sir, you're, you're right. Sirianni's answer was very different than Howie Roseman's, and that was yeah. notable. At the same time, I do, like, Sirianni gave an honest answer, which I think is totally reasonable, which is that, I'm the coach. I will put the players on the field who I think will help us win that week, that week. Like that is, his, that's yeah. his job. I mean, he can't, it's not fair to other players. I mean, think about if you're uh, Jason Kelsey and now all of a sudden, you know, you've seen in practice all week that Suo Peta is outperforming Tyler Steen. And you've seen that since the beginning of training camp and they're going to play Tyler Steen because they want to see what the young guy has. Like, that's yeah. like, a, like no, no veteran <laughs> wants to see that. And so um, I think what Sirianni said is reasonable. Now I think, what Howie said is true, which is that this year they're not really probably going to have a choice because yeah. they're probably moving on from older players and some of the younger players they've drafted in recent years, whether it's uh, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Nicobe Dean, uh, maybe Sidney Brown, like all maybe Keely Ringo, like those guys are just Nolan Smith going to have to play because like that's who you have. And so um, it's a tough balancing act, but uh, I agree with your overall point that, you know, they've got what picks, 22 they've got 22 50 and 53 i mean 
You know, like you maybe use the first round pick on an offensive tackle and then you've got like some legit picks that, yeah, these guys, if you pick the right players, they sh- and the holes you have on defense, they should be able to come in and help you right away. It's not maybe just one does and not two. If you go like, you know, uh, 0 for 2, that's going to be a problem. But um, that combined with maybe what they could do in free agency, adding maybe one or two high level starters. That's not going to break the bank. Maybe that a second tier guy who's still going to cost you money, but is in their mid twenties who can grow with you, not a bandaid fix. Like that's their path in my opinion to kind of building the defense back up. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think especially like that comment from Howie kind of alludes to like, I do think that they're going to be willing to draft. Like I know like they haven't drafted a cornerback in a long time, but again, I think that that's more circumstantial yeah. I think that they've been high on first round corners. I think that they have targeted them. I mean, like they've come out and basically said as much of, for some of these draft classes, um, you know, that they were high on some of these corners. So, you know, I think that, again, if, if this is a deep cornerback class, I think there will be options at 22. Now, if there's, you know, Cooper DeGene is the guy I'm intrigued by. Like if Cooper DeGene's there and also like Tyler Guyton or, uh, you know, one of these offensive tackle prospects that, is really intriguing or, you know, Jared verse or Dallas Turner is there. Like, I do think that they they will always prioritize those trench players over a corner, but I do think like at some point they're going to need to draft, like again, yeah. building blocks on that side of the ball who can be day one starters. So, um, you know, I think that it, it kind of maybe hints a little bit at the draft philosophy. Now, listen, like I've heard these guys say some, some things at the combine <laughs> that have turned out to be totally not true. Like total, Fabricates. I remember Nick Sirianni like being really confident in Quez Watkins as a number That's two right. receiver, and then they traded for AJ Brown a few months later. So you you never really know. Like maybe I'll eat these words and be talking about Legarius Sneed as an Eagle in a couple of months. But you know, I really do think that they are going to target positions like the Eagles. I think have even maybe they've gotten a little bit too far in this. Like don't draft them for this year. Draft them for three years down the road. I think at some point, like they do need to be able to identify positions of need and get guys who can get on the field. Goes back to my Dallas Goddard resources point from way back for the long time yeah. uh, <laughs> listeners there. All right. Mine, actually, that, that, I'm glad you brought that one up because that one um, was certainly on my list. My next one. Vic Fangio say on personnel, EJ, my ears perked up here uh, <laughs> a little bit. So how he was asked about, uh, you know, given Vic Fangio's experience and bet, like, will he have uh, a big say in personnel? And how he said, I'm sure he thinks that. No, he was yeah. joking. He <laughs> laughed. However, EJ, did you look at the transcript from the press conference today? That was they omitted. That, that yeah. was omitted <laughs> from the transcript. Why are you omitting it? Why? Yeah, We're getting to the bottom of it. So, um, again, I'm not saying that that is a big deal that he made a joke about it. However, I think that relationship is a big deal. Howie Roseman yeah. and Vic Fangio. And I'm sure they really, they, they love each I'm sure they had a great time when Fangio was in the building as a consultant. And then they tried to get him, I'm sure. But once you start working together... It's a different dynamic. There is no chance that Vic Fangio thinks Howie Roseman, or probably any other GM for that matter, yeah. <laughs> the entire NFL, <laughs> is more qualified to, to select defensive players for his scheme than Fangio himself. I mean, he is going to want his, but he's not going to sit back and say, oh yeah, you know, all right, tell me who I've got on the first day of OTs. No, no, that's not how it's going to work. 
I don't mind a crusty defensive coordinator. I like a crusty defensive coordinator, <laughs> but when it goes bad, it goes very bad. And if you saw, you know, Dolphins release Xavier Howard, I don't know if you saw that. And Jalen Ramsey had a little cryptic tweet yeah, I saw about, it. yeah, like I'll never forgive, uh, you know, that guy or whatever. He didn't name Fangio, yeah. but for not using us the way we should have been used. And there's been those little murmurs in Miami again, like Miami's defense was playing really well in the second half of the season when they were healthy and then guys got injured. So it was weird that like, they were just like, all right, we'll move on from Fangio after one year. So it's just on my radar. The Fangio front office, how we were like, that relationship is on my radar. And just Fangio's kind of relationship with everyone. I mean, I don't yeah. know that he's going to be the uh, easiest, like warmest person to work with. I think he's obviously a great coach and he, he's got the resume. And if it works, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be like, oh my gosh, this scheme is incredible. And the players are going to love it. If it doesn't work, some of these things maybe could come to the surface. So I, I thought that was interesting that how he went there uh, with the joke, uh, at least, because I, I don't know if it's something he's thought about internally or been asked about before. But that, that's a uh, great that, observation by you, too. Yeah. I didn't catch that they, they omitted. I remember the joke, but when you omitted. brought up, I went, to, I went to the transcript <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. They didn't include the joke. Interesting. Yeah, they include the joke. That, what we're talking about, by the way, is Eagles PR will type up the transcript and then send it to everybody, um, which is a very nice, obviously, very, helpful. Uh, yes. very, very helpful thing to do. Um, but that's why people will just read that and they wouldn't know the joke, but EJ was there. Yeah. I watched it. We saw the joke. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I find it interesting. Cause it is like, you know, the, the dolphin stuff is, is like, I don't know what to make of it. Like, is it like players disgruntled that they don't get to play how they want, but maybe they're playing in the way that is best for them, you know, like, or That's is for there the more team there? also? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, like, I think that it is pretty commonplace for players, some players to think, you know, they're not using me the way exactly I want to be used. Especially but, corners, the yeah, man corners. Yes, so yeah, that's exactly. true. You're right. You're, that's like, a great point. Jalen Ramsey is coming off an injury. He's a little bit older. Maybe Vic Fangio is like, I don't know if you're that guy right now. So I don't know. I'm not sitting here trying to carry water for Vic Fangio. I really do. I, I find it just fascinating. But you're right. It's like these things can go badly really quickly. Um, I really like it's funny. So I don't know if they caught this on the like the broadcast, but Howie Rosen like got up to the podium and he sees Giovanni. Um, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, but Gio um, the podcaster. Yeah. yeah, Gio the podcaster. Exactly. So, and you know, he wanted to give Gio the first question, and he said, "Like, you got something on, like on linebackers for me?" And it's funny because D'Amico Ryan's kind of like sneaks over and like into the frame and is like, "I'll play linebacker for you, Howie." <laughs> honestly, it was like funny, but probably true that D'Amico yeah, Ryan's, he'd, he'd probably <laughs> start. Yeah, yeah, no, I would probably agree with start that. for them at linebacker right now. <laughs> Um, but I, I have, I have not heard Howie like talk much or if you think that like, this is the off season that Howie is going to like address linebacker and safety and put legitimate money into it. You can never say never. And I think if it happens, I think that is a Fangio influence, but nothing he has said has suggested as much, you know, like he's been asked about the positional value and we didn't really get a question about linebackers today. Um, but I think it's because we kind of know where he stands on it, you know? Right. Um, and I, I really, I'm curious to see how, it, like if they draft a linebacker in the second or third, well, the second round, I would say, I would say like that's a Fangio influence written all over it. Um, 
you know, they've, they've drafted, done that before. You know, Ken drafted third and round linebackers. Davion yeah, like, Taylor. Yeah, and I feel like their their defense has like a Davion Taylor size hole in it, and people don't talk about that <laughs> enough. Like they really do. Like they're missing like an athletic linebacker who can cover, which is what they thought Davion Taylor was going to be. And I'm not the no shade to Davion Taylor. I think that he a was like one of the most impacted by COVID players like ever. Like you know, I know the Eagles like to use that as an excuse and. Like, it's not an excuse, but, like, Davion Taylor is a guy who didn't play enough – like, barely played high school football, barely played in college. Like, he needed game time and reps, and, like, they he didn't have an offseason program. And then he just never really became, like, an instinctual linebacker, which, again, like, I I don't love the process there because it's, like, I feel like that's such an instinctual instinctual position. To think they're going to develop, that's kind of crazy. But anyway, sorry. I'm, I have a lot of thoughts about Davion Taylor, apparently. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, no, I do think like if you look at Fangio's system, I know that you and Sean have talked about it a lot. You and Ben have talked about it a lot. Like, but like safeties and linebackers do matter in his system. Like you need specific skill sets, skill sets the Eagles don't have right now. So, you know, I think you can find linebackers and safeties starting caliber players on day two. Um, I'm really curious to see if that's where they go. You know, I think, you know, going back to that like young nucleus thing I was talking about earlier, like they could use a difference maker at one of those positions. Yeah, and I'm looking at it, and it's like safety. He has obviously Rodney McLeod. Like they they've signed safeties before, and he's admitted. I remember way back. I mean, this must have been 2000. Now I sound really old. Like I don't know, 2013 or something. Mm-hmm. I remember him at the Senior Bowl specifically during one of the press gaggles, being like, "It's really hard to evaluate." college safeties and yeah like it was like an admission of this is difficult and i don't know if we should be you know spending high picks on them anymore so maybe they go the veteran route uh with the safety maybe they draft i, I don't know we, we just know that they need safeties linebackers and corners there's uh, just you know all of those uh on this football team for 2024 when they're looking to upgrade this defense and who knows if you trade hassan reddick now you might need a little edge rush uh boost also unless yeah. you believe in Nolan Smith there. All right, let's just get to our, let's get to one more each. Um, and then we'll get to a little story time. What, what, what do you got? Um, really? I've got two quick ones for you. Uh, okay. well, no, actually, sorry. Let's do the, let's do the quick ones. And then maybe we can end with the, one of the bigger ones I have. Um, okay. so two really quick ones, a, how he said that James Bradbury is a part of their quote unquote current plans. Mm. Um, that, you know, you could take that a couple different ways. The other thing I thought was interesting is he said he does not consider James Bradbury a slot candidate, like a move to a slot in your, you know, the older part of your career. So, um, I mean, I think that the salary cap increase makes a James Bradbury release a little bit more palatable because you can eat that dead money. You didn't really expect to have it anyway. How he was very like reserved when talking about the salary cap today. I actually asked him about the salary cap increase and was surprised at how, you know, he was very like, you know, if you get $5 off the street, you don't just go blow the $5, you know, the first chance you get, um, which I kind of disagree with. You know, if I got $5, I, I probably go to five below, yeah, get, go get a screen yourself. protector. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're going to take it to a, <laughs> take it to Wawa, you know, get, I get something good with that $5. Um, but yeah, uh, like I do think that um, the Bradbury thing could play into that. But again, today he was, Bradbury is not, a, is still a part of their quote unquote current plans. Again, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt at this point. But I did think that was interesting. And I then, think he's going to be gone for the record. I, I do too. I, think, I, I just don't see that, how yeah. they can keep him. Yeah. yeah I agree. Um, and the other thing I found quite interesting was Nick Sirianni talking about 
the big discrepancy in defensive staff changes versus offensive staff changes. He talked about how important it was for Vic Fangio to have his guys. And then he sort of caught himself and went, Sean Desai didn't really have that. (laughs) And I thought, you know, if you're Sean Desai, you're like, yeah, I didn't really get to hire my people. You know, a little different, you know, cachet is different, obviously. But I did find that admission at least an interesting note for Nick Sirianni on behalf of Sean Desai, who is, you know, now headed to the Los Angeles Rams. So, yeah, he like, he definitely, it was like, he caught himself. He was like, yeah, Sean didn't really get that chance. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not <laughs> only that, but Patricia, yeah. you know, is, is sitting next to, right. is right there kind of looking <laughs> over his shoulder, I guess. Uh, listen, hopefully Sean decides boost to LA nice time with that uh, Rams yeah. defense. All right. One of my, I had a couple little ones, but the core values, EJ, I mean, I feel for you guys, like I don't have to watch every Nick Sirianni press conference and I will not watch every Nick Sirianni press conference. But I counted this up in the transcript. He talked about core values six times. It was not a long press conference. Six times. And, you know, his five core values, connect, compete, accountability, fundamentals, football IQ. Uh, You know, he took us a little peek behind the curtain, EJ, that compete, connect and compete. Those are the first two because they first they both start with C. He's an appreciator of an alliteration, you know, he's a man after our own hearts. Yeah, He likes alliteration, (laughs) but it doesn't mean that the most important because they're not. Accountability is more important, but anytime you have two that start with C, you got to put them together. Listen, it's not a big deal. I don't want to make fun of a Nick Sirianni press conference that happened way back in the day, and he took them to the Super Bowl in year two. I was just, yeah. I've got a comparison for you here. So like Nick Sirianni with the core (laughs) values is like, it's me. like showing my wife my FIFA career mode save like 10 years in advance. I'm like, and this guy like was from the youth academy. She's and rolling this her guy, eyes. So, like, and care. it's like, it's yeah. something that he like has put so much time and energy into. And it's like, it's does it doesn't translate as well to anybody. And, you know, I'm sure the players buy it and, you know, they buy in everything. Yeah, like, maybe. yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be gracious here, but for us, it's just like, Okay, like yeah, we've we've heard the court. I did enjoy the like you know connect and compete are number one and two because it's catchy, (laughs) you know. But accountability is really important. And then like he said, like you know that he felt like as a leader of the team, he like was leaning too much into one of his core values and at the expense of the other. He didn't want to get into it, and I was just like, you're really really in the weeds. So it did remind me because I am a. Uh, guilty of getting in the weeds on some things in my life as uh, my close friends and my wife can attest to. And it kind of didn't remind me of those times where like, I'm sitting there like explaining why my Aston Villa career save is like, you know, the greatest thing. And, you know, I'm explaining the rules of the video game and like, you know, the exploits and how you can sort of like cheat your way into getting better players. It's like, it was bad. Yeah. It definitely was uh, (laughs) in the weeds. I I was just watching it and really just wondering like about the role that he has now. And like, you you know, you said the players and it's like the messaging and like, is this type of setup, the type of setup that he is well-equipped for or not? And again, it's a press, I'm not saying that based on this, you know, it's obviously a meaningless quote. It doesn't matter, but it's just sometimes you watch something and it spurs a thought in your head and like being in charge, uh, you know, being responsible for these coaches that he has no prior history with and yeah. now he's supposed to lead them um, and like, you know, set them up for success. 
I just don't know. I mean, I was like, man, like what is, is he just going to be talking about core values? Like, <laughs> core values. Is, this, is this his job now just to talk about core? Cause that's not like, yeah, the players, maybe the new players will be like, cool. The veterans are going to be like, oh, well, what year is this? Like, for, yeah. you know, I've always thought, I've always thought the core values were a very college type deal. You know, like it sounds like something a college coach would have come up with to sort of, like I would go. Yeah. I was it. even thinking like peewee, honestly. It was, uh, well, it's yeah. like high school. I would say, <laughs> high school. I mean, maybe it's at like high school foundation for Nick Sirianni, but you're right. Yeah. It's like, if you're like Jason Kelsey or Fletcher Cox, you're probably like, come on, man. Like, yeah. you know, but I don't know. It's like, I feel like I understand that Nick has like put a lot of time into thinking these through. So I try to be respectful of it again, yeah. as a, as a person who likes to get into the weeds on things myself, but yeah, it's definitely, like when he says it, like in a press conference, it's kind of like up there with like the Larry Karras. It's like, all right, everybody drink, like you know. <laughs> but I mean, I guess yeah, it's a, it's what's important to him. Football so. culture is weird. So like this is they're great teams, and they probably have similar things. The Rams had all sorts of weird sayings on their shirts in the summer, and they had a great season. I'm not saying that. Yeah, just like. Yeah, I think I've heard enough about them. You know, especially like when, a, when the team when the team falls apart like that for the last six weeks, and it's like one of the biggest collapses <laughs> we've seen in NFL history. Literally, I don't really care about the core values anymore. Yeah. They obviously did not resonate. Like you, that's fine. You can hold on to them, but that's not the answer. Those core values do not hold the answer to whatever questions, um, you know, problems you're trying to solve here. So I don't know, maybe it's a yeah. little thing I'm talking too much about it. All right. No, I think, I mean, listen, I saw there was a lot of buzz on social media, but I think fans are kind of yeah, they're, I think they're Fans starting are to get over a it, time. I think. Yeah, they got to be over yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a little detour here and we'll come back and see if there's any leftovers that we missed. But when we have EJ on, I got to throw some of this stuff his way. Ace producer, Cliff Augustine, I need you to hop on here because you are, I, I like both of you. You two are nice, like uh, tag team for me to bounce this stuff off of. I feel like by the end, we usually get uh, to some type of answer here. So it's temple, man. That's, that's what it is, man. You, it's you a temple connection. So yeah. There you go. yeah. All right. All right. So we had the week off uh, last week. Very nice. Ringer Spotify uh, gave us the week off. I was in uh, Florida for a few days. Uh, flew back from Florida. Okay. So he, here's the deal. We land in Philadelphia and they say like, all right, you know, we can't quite get to like, basically it's going to be a few minutes before you can get off the plane. But like, I don't know anyone who's traveled recently, like that's relatively standard. They didn't say it's you're stuck here for two hours. They just said we can't get off right away, like two minutes after you land. So it's taken a little bit longer. I'm seated in the aisle about five to 10 rows from the back. And in those situations, I just stay in my seat. I don't, I, if you need to get up and stretch, that's fine. Get up and stretch. I just want everyone to know that I'm not like, listen, I'm here when it's time to go, I'll go, but I don't need to be the person causing chaos in the aisle. So I, I'm always like no sense in standing up. Some people are standing up. If you stand up and you don't advance, all good. You're allowed to stand up. Now, listen, knees, hips, whatever. People got different issues going on. No, do whatever you need to do. So some people are doing that. I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, Neil S. just blows right past our row. Just starts walking. How do I know his name is Neil S? Because I stared at his backpack. It said Neil S. And I will never, call him out. Yeah. ever forget the name Neil S. 
So he blows right past our row. So now I'm going, oh my, like, are you serious? I thought we were past this as a society. I thought we knew how to deep plane properly, row by row. And now Neil S is trying to cause chaos here. So a woman next to me, you know, she's in the middle. She looks at me and I say, I guess he wanted to get off the plane uh, more than we do, huh? All right, so we share a little moment with a stranger. That's nice. Again, we're trying to live in a society here. But now, like, it's on my radar. Like, so now I look behind me. And there's a woman. She's creeping up. She's creeping up. She's not quite even with my row, but she is approaching. And I look at her and I say, I know what you're trying to do, lady. And I'm not going to let you do it. So I do a little subtle. I'm not a confrontational person, but this really gets my blood boiling. So I stick a little leg into the aisle. Okay. Then I'm in the most awkward <laughs> I, um, I put my arm out. My arm is dangling outside the armrest into the aisle. I want her to know this man's body parts, half his body, as much as he can fit is in the aisle. He's not going to let me through. I'm taking the subtle cue. So I do that. It's dangling there. I think I'm sending a clear signal here. Now, finally, people start getting off the plane. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm looking row by row and I'm saying, I need to time this perfectly because she's not giving me a, a lot of room to stand up when it's my turn. I need to be ready that when the people in front of me stand up, then I can stand up and get in front of her because this lady is not getting past me. Okay. So when this starts happening, I time it up well. Uh, and I get in front of her. I stand up, perfect time. I'm in front of her. Bam. Now, I look at you know the, the row to my left, and these were nice, law-abiding women. <laughs> waited their turn, and I say, "Go ahead, go yep. ahead, please. I don't need to get off. I just wanted to make sure she wasn't. Good. I don't say that, but that's in my head. So I let the women, women start getting up, looking for. All of a sudden, I hear, "I don't have luggage." The woman says to me, oh, you don't, she gets by me. She slips past me. The woman muttered, I don't have luggage. And then she slipped past me and got off the plane. So now I'm, I go, unbelievable. I am very audible. I want everyone to hear. I can't believe what this woman just did. Next thing I know, her little squirrely husband, I assume, sneaks right past me. I mean, you oh, talk no. about a running back getting skinny <laughs> through the hole. You know, you watch the end zone angle and you go, how did he get through there? I mean, I'm blocking the aisle. He's going under my armpit, literally getting as skinny as possible and gets off the plane like a running back through the hole. So uh, I'm furious at this point, but I do also immediately recognize that this is going to be good for content, uh, whatever. The rest of us deep plane in orderly fashion. Then here's the icing on the cake. Get down to baggage claim. Who's waiting in baggage claim for their bags on the belt? It's the woman and the oh, man no. who had to get, <laughs> like, you just went from waiting in one place to waiting in the other place. Yes. You violated the rules of society, <laughs> the rules of deplaning, and you still had to wait. What are you doing? <laughs> Put them on the banned list. All right. So, Egypt. And I then Cliff. Love, Should I, I have done this. anything differently? I love this because I thought I was the only one that got existential about like the state of society. Every time I have to get off a plane, like I, I it brings out the absolute worst in people. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like whenever I'm getting off a plane, it makes me realize like how how much work we need to do as a people, like to get this life to get like uh, this yeah. together. Like 
like everyone is so self self absorbed when it comes to this stuff. Like Crazy. I'm like I I I try to be respectful of like the people with bad hips and bad knees, but like I don't even like when people get in the aisle because like what you said, like now you can't even get up because like they're blocking your way. And it's like you said, it's like illogical. It's like they're just going to the baggage claim. So no, what you did was correct. Um, sometimes if I see the people like congregating behind me, I'll do the same thing. And I've got a little bit more heft than you, Shield, so I can really <laughs> get in the like you're not getting skinny by me. Like there's no yeah, way. Yeah, I need yeah, to get so. wide, like in basketball, and say yeah. get wide. Like when you're boxing somebody out, that's really yeah. what I need to do. Cliff, what are your thoughts? Number one, you're 100 percent correct. I can't stand people that jump up immediately once the plane um lands. I remember people used to clap when a plane used to land, right? Yeah. Like that was like, thank God we got rid of that as a society. But now you got you got these jokesters going around here doing this type of this type of Neanderthal behavior, getting off the plane and then sprinting just to baggage. Like it'd be different if you had a connection. You was like, oh, like I gotta get out. I gotta get to this connection. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I gotta get to my connection. Like I'm in a rush. This flight is about to leave in, you know, 10 minutes is about to board in 10 minutes, whatever. Fine. Do your thing, whatever. But yo, come on, dog. Like, what's the a minute or two afterwards of everybody getting off the plane going do for you? You literally just sitting there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not sitting. Yeah, Yeah, you sit in bag. (laughs) Chances are my bag might come out before your bag just because of all the bad luck you just put on yourself for trying to be a freaking idiot to get like it it doesn't it just doesn't make sense, bro. Like, why do people do this? Why? What's the point of this? Wow, uh, you are hundred percent correct. I'm okay. fully on board with you, yo. Okay. Stop. Listen to everybody that listens to this podcast. I love you all. I promise, I love you all. But please keep your ass in your seat, man. Please, man. Unless, no. unless you're boxing out. If you're unless, boxing yeah, out for the good yeah. of the plane, I suggest everybody actually don't. I'm not. I'm getting up from now on, and I'm boxing out. I'm, I'm nobody's getting no one will ever get past me again no on a plane. Yeah. Or 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 just get up and stretch because let's say the flight was a little bit long. Get yeah. up and stretch and then just chill and let everybody just go out as they yeah. should. Like please stop doing this nonsense. Please <laughs> Thank you. just stop creating chaos with people getting their bags off and then you trying to you know, play Madden drills. Remember back in the day, you had to do the Madden uh, yeah. cold Listen. joint and mini kit. Yeah, like stop doing that. Stop doing all that. Just, just be a good, sensible, rational Member human of being. Yeah. Yes, like just so stop. funny. Like, I, I can picture this guy's face, and he's hugging his backpack because he can't have any ex. If he has any excess, it's getting stuck on me. He's hugging his backpack, and then he's got that. His cheeks are red, and he's got his glass. He's just sneaking by me, uh, little Ladanian Tomlinson, uh, sixty-year-old white guy, Ladanian Tomlinson, getting getting past me. Ne- right, next time, so. you need to give him a nice little Charles Barkley elbow right to the red. You well. Know, man? Listen, I, right I share this story was shared on my text thread and, uh, you know, listen to the show, uh, and friend MC said, like, you're not a hero. You didn't stop him. I said, listen, brown man on a plane. There's only so much confrontation <laughs> without consequences. So I, I, I said, <laughs> I said, I said, that was my limit. If I went, if I went any further, I might not be doing this podcast with you. Today. Oh no. Today. Oh, so, that, so that's my yo, answer. That was no. by far the funniest thing I ever said on this podcast, yo. Straight up. Like, <laughs> Listen, that, that's that's the truth right there. Oh my no. goodness. Well, I'm glad you said the thing about connecting, oh Cliff, because here's, here's my last thing on this. 
the only two times this is acceptable. One is if you have a connecting flight that you legitimately, like this is a running in the airport situation. And if that is the case, you need to be vocal. I'm talking yeah. every row, you basically need to be doing a, I'm sorry, I have a connecting flight that's about, I have a connecting, everybody needs to hear that so they know you're not like uh, this guy. You need to be saying it over and over. And if you, listen, if you have to do that, go right ahead. I will, yeah. I'll move aside. Go. That's one. Two, and this is one that applies to like almost any situation in life. But if you have a bathroom emergency, if you say to me, <laughs> I really have to use the bathroom, I'm so sorry. Do you mind if I go? Yeah. I'm not asking any more questions. Yep, I don't, don't ask, want don't any tell. more details. <laughs> go. If you, and if you're using that as a fake because you want to go, that's fine. I mean, you, listen, it's going to come back to you in some way. But those are the two situations. If you really got to use that bathroom, I'm not going to ask any questions. Go by me if you have a connecting flight. Otherwise, just calm down row by row. That's how it works. So there you go. All right. Excellent. Glad we settled that. All yeah. right. Uh, EJ, did you have something or should we get back to Eagle stock? We can get, well, I just got one quick thing here. So okay. I, I don't want to call out any airlines. You know, I know I'm on the ringer airwaves and I don't want to, uh, that's right. You I know, don't know who, I, yeah, tell tell me who our sponsors, sponsors are afterwards. We got to yeah. be careful. We like our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was on <laughs> in a not to be mentioned airline. Um, I don't usually fly this airline. Uh, usually I'm, I'm a big, uh, well, no, I'm not even going to ch shout out an airline again, just yeah, respectful yeah. of the, the ringer, uh, the ringer pocketbook <laughs> here. So, um, I don't usually fly this airline, but it was a little bit of, it was one of the affordable ones is all I will say. Um, okay. I had to fly home from Oh Vegas. man, you did it. <laughs> oh man. Right. No, there's a couple. It, no, it, it, it's probably it's not, not the one. one it's not the one I'm no, thinking about. Narrow down to two in my head, but yeah, we yeah, don't need to mention yeah, it. There's one of the, the three or four, I would say affordable ones. Okay. Um, so you mentioned Cliff that like we don't clap on planes anymore. Yeah. The flight attendant on this flight like picks up the the intercom like twenty minutes before the the plane is about to land, and he plays Viva Las Vegas on his phone into the intercom, and we all are like, "Is there an emergency? Like, is like something <laughs> wrong?" And then he goes on like the credit card spiel, and that lasted for about. 15 minutes, the longest credit card spiel oh I've ever God. heard in my life. Oh my God. And then at when the flight landed, he asked, he literally went on the intercom and said, a round of applause, please. And I was like, where, where do we do that at? Like, <laughs> no, we, we left over. that yeah. in like 2004 or whatever. Oh, like, we're good. We're good on no. that. So no, uh, no, I just no, needed no, to get no. that off my chest. But no, the, we don't, I'm not really a, a plane clapper and I'm not an aisle crowder. So. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you do get the ambitious, like, yeah, they're, you know, and listen, if that's what they, they're doing, a stand up routine, they're, they're performing. Sometimes <laughs> you get that person. That's, yeah. if that's what they want to do. That's fine. Not everyone has to pay attention to it. All right. Thank you, yeah. Cliff. Uh, let's finish. Uh, EJ, a couple things on my uh, Eagles list here that I had written down. Um, all right. So we got to the young players. We got to Fangio. We, uh, Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox. Uh, quick answer, but I, I thought it was interesting Howie Roseman said he doesn't want to see those guys wearing different uniforms, yeah. which last offseason, like Fletcher Cox had other options, right? Like it was, I don't know what the percentage was, but there was a percentage that he could sign with another team he did not. He signed with the Eagles. Did that surprise you? And just kind of what, which way are you leaning with those two guys and the potential of them coming back? It didn't surprise me necessarily. I think last off season, I felt like they had to sort of like explain the Fletcher Cox signing because he, he was like a little bit of a declining player, but after the year he had, and especially like just one more year on like the, the cachet of, you know, a franchise 
great. I, I can see why how he might have said that, but I also think it's a little telling. Like you say that when you think he's going to retire, right? Like you say that when like there's not as high of stakes. So yeah. um, I'm leaning that they'll both retire. I really genuinely think like you know the way that Jason, I I you know I believe that Jason told his teammates something along the lines of I'm done at the end of the season. But I also like. I don't remember where I heard this, but like the notion or the suggestion is like, if you ask any football player right after the season is over, if they're going to come back for another year, they'll all say no. Like, you know, the, the grueling nature of a season is always going to make you want to say, or is always going to make it daunting to think you're going to be able to do another season. So I, I don't think, they, I think if Jason knew, we would know. Um, but I do think that he's based off of like writing on the wall. I think I'm leaning that he would retire. Same thing with Fletch. Um, Fletcher's locker was like spotless after the end of the, in the, in the year end, like locker room clean out. Like a lot of guys will leave stuff in their locker. Fletcher's locker was literally empty. Like everything was gone. And he's like had that locker for like a decade. So um, I really think the writing was on the wall there. And he even mentioned it, you know, he said like my locker is all cleaned out, you know? So, um, you know, I really, I, I'm leaning that they'll both be gone. I think again, like, especially with Fletch, like you mentioned, that's a little bit of an eyebrow raising quote. I think it's because it's easy to say that when you think a guy's probably uh, on the way out. That's interesting for Fletcher Cox because he's he's 33. He's not 37, you know? Like he's yeah. he played good football last year and he may have stuff he wants to do after football that we're, you know, not aware of. But to me, it's just like, I, I'm doing this, you know, as people listen to this, my top 50 free agents will probably be up on the ringer.com. And there are like guys who are, 32 years old on that, you know, like Tyron Smith, I think is 33 years old and he's probably going to get like, you know, $10 million per year to play left tackle for someone next year. Like Fletcher Cox got, what was it? 9.75 or $10 million to play one year last season. Yeah. He played well. I think he would get the same contract this year. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he played better this year. Yeah. He played better this year. So, um, that was a little surprising. uh, Fletcher's potential interests. Um, I asked Fletcher about the cattle farming because I heard through the grapevine that he's really into cattle farming. I asked him how many cows he had, and he looked me dead in the face. I think he said four thousand, and I was oh like, gosh. "Are you joking?" And, and he looked at me very seriously. He was like, "No, I am not joking. I have four thousand cows." So um, there you yeah, go. Maybe, maybe he wants to, you know, hang out with his cows. <laughs> the the, uh, the Kelsey thing and, and what you mentioned there reminded me uh, of a story, as I, I like to tell anyone who will listen now. I was talking to Ed and Donna Kelsey before it was cool, okay, back oh, in the day wow. uh, for a story on Jason Kelsey. <laughs> and Ed Kelsey told me the story of the Eagles Super Bowl season. They played a preseason game, and Jason Kelsey called his dad, Ed. This is the story from Ed Kelsey, and was like, we don't have it this year, dad. Like I just, I mean, we played terrible. This went wrong. Uh, this went wrong. Like I just, you know, this is going to be a long season. Like I'm kind of, and, and, and Ed Kelsey was kind of like, well, you know, he started like naming players. Well, maybe this guy will get uh, a little bit better. It's only a preseason game. This guy, uh, gets healthy. And like, by the end of the, the phone conversation, Kelsey was like, yeah, no, I think we can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, like, he's like an emotional guy. And it's like, to your point, like, yes, yeah. his, his feelings are going to change. Now, um, it, it might just be time. I mean, you have a bad season like that. And you think about the potential of having a repeat, not a bad personal season for him, but the way it went for the team. And you think about going through all the stuff to get back to it and the tush pushes. And then like, he's obviously having a lot of fun not doing football. I know he, I know he would yeah. have a lot of fun playing those 17 games and 
the locker room with the guy, like all that stuff. I'm sure he would have uh, fun doing all that, but the other stuff you wonder about. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and then we'll finish here, is just the Jalen Hurts leadership stuff. Yeah, that's the last uh, thing we need to get to. It's kind of crazy yeah. that we we haven't gotten to it, but yeah. I think that probably, I, I mean, I to be, to be fair, I wrote about it. Um, okay. So I definitely thought it was important. But I also think that like, what do you expect Nick to say? You know? Yeah. Like, so fill us in on what he was asked, what he said and how you interpret the whole thing and how like the organization might feel, you know, internally. Yeah. So it was Elliot Shore Parks that asked, he basically said, asked Nick, do you think that Jalen needs to be a more vocal leader, you know, moving forward? And is that something that was a problem last year? And Nick, really quick my favorite part of Nick's answer is he said that there's no book on how to lead which is <laughs> objectively false <laughs> like like it's there are quite literally the thousands most, maybe of the most common topic of yeah of there's not a books. book that is written on this is how you lead um my wife actually texted me about that. <laughs> she's like that's like the most incorrect statement ever <laughs> there's lots of books about leadership um and i'm sure nick Sirianni has probably read books about leadership but anyway um jokes aside uh he basically got got into that jalen needs to be himself um he doesn't want jalen to be somebody that he isn't and that jalen may not be a rah-rah guy or you know be a vocal leader he might lead by example he might be a little bit of both and that's okay um, and then I asked him later, you know, while we're on this about AJ and, you know, the fact that he's like calling into WIP and arguing with people on Twitter, uh, I basically said like, you know, is that, what's your reaction to that? Is it something you talk to him about? And he basically said that AJ, AJ's leadership style is to stand up to people and defend his teammates and that he's okay with that. And like, what I wrote is like, Jalen and AJ have very divergent leadership styles. They're very different. And Nick basically supports both of them in their leadership styles, even if, you know, my colleague Jeff McLean has reported that members of the Eagles organization want Jalen to be more accessible to his teammates, be more open um, during adverse times. And, you know, Jalen sort of alluded to like every year requires something different from you in his year end press conference. And then he quickly was like, but all the things that make me who I am were good things when we were winning. And when we're losing, it's not as good. So, and I honestly think that like, that is just the reality of it. Like winning cures all your personality is great when you win. And when you're not winning, everybody's going to look and say, well, how can you be different? So um, I, I do think that the criticism is maybe a little misplaced, but I also think it's a fair observation to make. Um, you know, when you're losing, it requires something different of you. So um, all that to say, like, again, Nick said that he supports Jalen in his leadership style says that he, you know, basically said like he expects growth from Jalen, but uh, just like he expects growth in everything, in every area. I mean, like this is kind of like always been the the company line, for lack of a better word, from Howie and uh, Nick when it comes to Jalen, that he's young, he's still growing, and that he's great, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely thought it was interesting, but I also thought, like, what did you expect Nick to say? Like, yeah, we really think that he needs to, you know, be different as a leader. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like the, <clears throat> excuse me, the interesting part is like not, it's not to me like, us observing Jalen, like that happens. I remember the Donovan McNabb stuff back in the day, Don, Oh my God, Donovan's laughing, uh, on the bench. And there, it, it drove me nuts. And I was like very yeah. young then. I was still like, what are you, what are you guys talking about uh, here? Why are we interpreting his, um, you know, his body language on, but the fact that 
stuff is coming. Like you said, Jeff McLean has reported. I think Mike Garofolo, I heard, yep. you know, uh, Zebra, I'm talking about that, had something on Super Bowl Sunday on NFL Network. The fact that there are things coming from within the organization about this is at least has my antennae up a little bit. Like whether it's, yeah. it might be completely unfair to Jalen Hurts, but like there's somebody somewhere within the organization or right. multiple yeah. people who feel comfortable being like, he needs to like change his behavior somewhat or there are things he could do better in that respect, which like, I don't know if that's valid or not, but the fact that that's coming from like in, inside and it's not just me saying, Oh my gosh, like, like my wife said, my, we were watching Abbott elementary and she's like, Oh my, he looks so happy. Like he's smi he's smiling. Like I, we didn't like, I don't, is that what he looks yeah. like when he, when he <laughs> smiles, like that kind of thing? Like it's not that type of analysis. That's one thing, which I'm sure she was right. You know, many of us yeah. probably observed, but the fact that it's in the building at least makes me think it's worthy of discussing at least. Yeah. I think that people like sometimes misconstrue, like, like Jeff's reporting, like as Jeff, Jeff's opinion. Like, that's just what he hears from people in the building. Like, right. you know, I remember there was like a big, like, there was a lot of like, you know, fresh, like anger from fans. Like, you know, and this is maybe is me just taking up for my teammate here. Like, you know, people were upset with Jeff and it's like, well, that's just what people from the building told Jeff. So it's like, you, you know, your issues with people in the building, not with, with Jeff. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think like you, there's a real discussion to be had on whether or not those like concerns or wants or you know, from Jalen to be different are, you know, valid or not. But again, like that's something that people in the building have expressed. So Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. It's not a column of Jeff writing, Jalen Hurts needs to change and that's what's wrong with the Eagles. It's yeah. reporting, which is different, that I am talking to people and this is what they're saying. People who know things are telling me this. Like that, that that's completely different. And so that makes yeah. it uh, noteworthy. And it's not, yeah, it's not his opinion. It's not our opinion. It's it's what um, some people there say, which is, I mean, that is pretty interesting for a guy you paid that much money to. And for all yeah. the issues with the team, you're like pointing to that as one of the reasons. It's like, oh, all right, is everyone, the, the accountability uh, core yeah. value? I don't know. <laughs> like that, that makes me wonder a little bit about that. All right. I mean, February 27th, we're doing 75 minutes on the Eagles. That's what, that's what this city, uh, that's what this city is about. We know it. It's a big off season. They've got some money to spend in free agency. They've got, they're potentially trading a double digit sack guy. They've got three picks in the top 53. Uh, the coach is coaching for his job next season. I mean, there is a lot going on with this football team. We appreciate EJ Smith of the Inquirer. Read his work in the Inquirer, inquirer.com. I'm sure he'll, how long are you in Indy, EJ? Um, I'm here until Friday morning. I'm going to be honest, Ooh. you know, I'm going to scout out a couple of uh, Thursday night, like red eye situations here. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have an early exit. <laughs> there you go. So read, read all of EJ's work this week in the Inquirer. Love having him on. That was a lot of fun. I think anytime me, you and Cliff get together on one of these, we end up crying at, uh, I at literally something laugh at some at, point. I've laughed on this podcast, like harder than I've laughed in like my actual life, uh, recently. So. I love it. So I, I think we, we put that in at the perfect time in the pot. It's kind of like sports talk radio. You're talking about yeah. legit stuff and then you break it up and then you come back to the legit stuff. So I like the way we did that. All right. Appreciate everyone listening. I think we're going to have Benny Souls come back later this week. I want to do a little exercise where I project what all of the Eagles pending free agents are going to get on the open market. And Benny Souls says, does he want to keep them or let them go 
at that price. So as long as we can get him away from his combine activities for a little bit, we'll bring that to you later this week. We got Phillies in spring training. We got Sixers going on. We got a lot of stuff going on uh, on the feed. So we'll get it uh, going here in the week's end. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Ace Producer Cliff Augustine. Thanks to EJ Smith. We'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.